Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Jamie Sandberg. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. strong suit here. <laughs> we are not drinking wine this week. No, no, listeners, um, eagle-eyed listeners. That doesn't make sense. Eagle-eared? Eagle-eared listeners. Sharp-eared listeners. If you're really weird and pay attention way too closely, that is the sound of ice cubes rattling around in a glass full of Woodford Reserve. Double-oaked. Double-oaked Woodford Reserved. It's the good stuff. We're partying right tonight. <laughs> Indeed. I hope you enjoyed uh, last week's episode, um, which I believe is currently being titled Tales from the Tub. It was just a filler piece. Uh, I'm on my way to actually, as you're listening to this, I've probably already arrived to be with Heather on the cruise ship. But um, recording this week with her was not going to be easy. And I happened to be in Asheville, North Carolina with my mom. So she volunteered to step in and be our co-host this week. And I am delighted to be here. This is my, my second foray. Second appearance, second foray into the world of Campfire Classics. And this week, I think we're even going to get you to read. Oh boy. <laughs> Which will be uh, new new and exciting. Well, new and exciting for our listeners, but not so much new and exciting for me because, well, exciting for me, but I've been hearing you read stories since I was a wee little thing. Yes. Uh, from board books to uh, chapter books. I think we've shared before that at the ripe old age of four, you listened to the Narnia Chronicles read aloud and acted out all of the parts in the process. So Yeah, uh, well, and, and um, I've been, <laughs> I have been enjoying watching you practice uh, with little baby Tristan for the last couple of days that I've been here anyway. She does love her board books. And <laughs> where's Spot? Uh, a, a classic. I don't think that we're going to... Um, try to read her this week's story it might end up being well a little grim for one of uh her delicate years oh i Um, hear a pun (laughs) intended Uh, so, um, listeners, regular listeners, uh, you'll know that what we do here at Campfire Classics is, uh, read short stories that we find out of the public domain. They are cold read, sight unseen by the reader, um, because that it just seems like a good fun way to torture someone on recording. And, uh, along the way we look up words that we don't recognize. We make fun of penis jokes that maybe were, or maybe were not penis jokes when the story was originally written and just generally try to laugh and have a good time about it. And this time I have selected a story for my mom to read, um, which should be good. Uh, but before we jump into the story, I always like to give a little bit of, um, what background information, a little bit of mood setting, scene setting, uh, with some with some fun facts. And am I right in guessing these will be fun facts about the brothers Grimm? Yeah, yeah. My my wordplay isn't very subtle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at that. Uh, so. Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm uh, were born 13 months apart in 1785 and 1786 in what was then part of the Holy Roman Empire, but today is Germany. Uh, In their 20s, the region came under Napoleonic rule. That is actually weirdly kind of important to their literary journey, Um, but we'll touch on that later. So these two brothers were weirdly inseparable, as you will hear. Um, They had a large home and a large family growing up, um, private tutors, lots of money, um, the whole, you know, rich people experience. But then in 1796, when the boys were 10 and 11, their father died and suddenly the family was broke. 
Ooh, dear. Yeah. Uh, so their mother was forced to give up the servants, forced to give up the house, give up, you know, the fancy jewelry, the clothes, the everything. Like, they sold everything. And they had to rely on her father and sister for support. Um, so <laughs> this... 10-year-old and 11-year-old spent two years sharing the mantle of man of the house. And then they were sent off to school. Um, So there was at least money for that. Yes, it was their grandfather uh, helped to pay for it. There was, you know, still a little bit of family money. Um, And so they weren't like, they weren't living in a hovel. They weren't in a hole in a ditch somewhere, but they were living off the kindness of friends and family. Um, They learned pretty quickly while they were there that they did not have quite the same uh, lifestyle that some of their more wealthy classmates did, but that was okay. They pushed through, and both brothers finished at the top of their class. And was that the top of their same class, or were they in different classes? It would have been, except that Wilhelm got scarlet fever and missed a year. And so he ended up finishing in 1804. Jacob finished in 1803. But they, they, they started in the same year and then, and then got separated by a, a class. Uh, yeah. And so they, they, they finished, they each finished top of their respective classes. Um, pretty great for a couple of poor kids. Um, they then, uh, went off to university together where once again, they were so poor that they couldn't afford a social life, which was fine. They just spent all of their time studying. That probably wouldn't happen today. Probably not. No, it doesn't take a lot of money to get distracted and into trouble today. I imagine it didn't take that much money to get distracted and in trouble back then. But the consequences of being distracted back there might have been a little more life-altering. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking you got your ladies of the evening who are wont to give young men syphilis, and that's just a crappy way to end up. Um, Today, we just have meth. Well, we have a lot of other things. We have a lot of other things, too. I'm just saying that meth is basically the modern-day syphilis. <laughs> Does that work? I thought monkeypox was the modern day syphilis. Ooh, ooh. And then it got real. <laughs> hey, listener, have you gotten your monkeypox vaccination? It's okay. Neither have I. Yeah. Apparently, there, like you, you can get it. Fortunately, it's it's been around in other countries long enough yes. that yeah. And I, I think. I think the vaccine that they're using actually was developed for smallpox. Oh. And and they are related. So if you've been vaccinated against smallpox, are you good against monkeypox or vice versa? I don't know. I don't know. But I think this vaccine comes out of that smallpox vaccination because they are closely related. Hmm. Cool. Well, regardless, the Brothers Grimm were too poor to get monkey syphilis and so (laughs) and so they just worked really hard they both ended up getting jobs after graduation as uh research assistant librarians which paid very little but gave them lots of time to do research so we're we're reading their stories we read a lot of famous authors but they weren't actually so much authors as they were story collectors storytellers but really story collectors because what they spent these years doing was researching and traveling to villages and towns and cities and collecting stories and folklore from anybody who would share them it's often talked about and it's it's often um presented as though the brothers grim talked to peasants or almost exclusively peasants and got stories from them. But the truth is they, they, yes, they did talk to some of the local peasants and, you know, the little old ladies who have been sharing the same story for generations, but they, they were also going to like the lawyers and the, the magistrate and like the rich people in town and being like, well, what stories do you know? We, we like, we, we want to hear all of the versions of the story. And they must've been multilingual because if memory serves me, right. Some of the these stories are from French tradition. Some are Germanic. Not at first. 
And this is where we get into the thing where uh, Napoleonic rule coming into this part of what would later be Germany becomes really important because what they're doing is they're taking all these stories that they're hearing. They are focused heavily on the Germanic tradition of folklore. They're taking the stories, they're they're sort of refining them or distilling them or, or trying to find the, like the core story that all of the that all of the versions of Little Red Riding Hood have in common, right? And then they're saying, and this is the German story that is Little Red Riding Hood. And the reason they're doing that is because they start this project in 1806, the same year that Napoleon comes over from France and takes over their homeland. And so there's this sort of, we have to collect these stories so that our culture doesn't die. There's this thing going on with them. And that's that's where their folklore collection actually starts, is they studied um, medieval Germanic folklore I- at university and just thought it was interesting. But they start doing this because they're like, we, we're not going to have a country in like five years. We need to make sure that our, our culture, our language, our stories don't die. And um, some historians have actually accused them of appropriating non-German stories and um, claiming them as exclusively German, like Little Red Riding Hood, for example. There are stories about Little Red Riding Hood in the French tradition, in the Italian tradition, in the Norwegian tradition, but they went out and gathered German stories about Little Red Riding Hood and said, nope, this is ours. (laughs) And we have Belle. For Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. pretty sure the original didn't have a guest on or anybody else, but um, pretty sure that one. Bell, Bell's a pretty French name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking. Um, but similarly, like uh, Cinderella, uh, whose German name is um, Ashen Puddle. <laughs> uh, she's she's another one who uh, collected Ashen Puddle. Ashen like Puddle, that. yeah. Um, uh, where they collected all of the German versions of the story, but it's not a uniquely German story. They just decided, hey, we're claiming this as German because, damn it, we're not going to die. <laughs> yeah, so they started publishing these stories. They, they collected them together in the book that is Grimm's Fairy Tales, and they started publishing them, and they became so popular that the brothers were awarded honorary doctorates from universities in Marburg, Berlin, and Breslau. Good for them. Doing all right for themselves. They continue writing folklores and histories. They started doing French folklore, Italian folklore. They have a collection of uh, Norse mythology that they collected, histories from all over the place. And they were both offered professor- professorships at the same university. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Grimm and Professor yeah. Grimmer. Um, so uh, one, um, uh, Wilhelm was offered a professorship. Jacob was offered a professorship and head of the library. Huh. Yeah. So they're, so they're working at the same university. Uh, they're there for a few years. But then in 1837, they were both fired for joining a political protest. And once again, finding themselves broke... <laughs> They began to work on what would actually be their largest project and and really their most enduring project, even though most people don't associate them with this. They started writing the definitive German dictionary. Who doesn't have a copy of that in their home? Doesn't have a copy of that. Um, But once again, they're relying on friends and family and supporters and intermittent employment for quite some time to support them. Uh, The dictionary was finally finished. The first edition was finally finished and published in 1854. There were other projects like the complete history of the German language and a brief period during which the brothers both served in Parliament Apparently not very well, but eventually uh, in 1859, Wilhelm died and then Jacob followed four years later. They continued to edit and revise their dictionary until the day they died. The last entry was for the word fruit. Fruit. Yeah. I didn't realize that was a German. Well, I think the German word is like. Frucht. It's F R U C H T or something like that. But it, it was for fruit. Yeah. The last germ the the, the last entry that uh, that Jacob wrote was 
for the German word fruit, um, which seems poetic, you know, the fruit of my labor or something like that. So today you will be reading the German dictionary. I, I, I don't <laughs> think that will be happening. <laughs> no, uh, today you'll be reading one of one of their folk tales called Little Table Set Thyself, Gold Ass and Cudgel Out of the Sack. Let's start this fire. <laughs> <laughs> Little table set thyself. Gold ass? Selected largely for the title. Well, how do you turn that down? <laughs> I'm, I'm reading it now. Little table set thyself. Gold ass and cudgel out of the sack. As set down by the Brothers Grimm. Translated by Margaret Hunt. Edited by Francis Jerkins Alcott. The uh, so the the translation is from the 1850s, and then it was edited and published by whatever that guy's name was in the early 1900s. Okay. For those of you who care about such things. There was once upon a time a tailor who had three sons and only one goat. But as the goat supported the whole of them with her milk, she was obliged to have good food and to be taken every day to pasture. The sons, therefore, did this in turn. Once the eldest took her to the churchyard, where the finest herbs were to be found, and let her eat and run about there. At night, when it was time to go home, he asked, Goat, have you had enough? I always talk to my goats. <laughs> and this clever goat answered. The goat answered, I have eaten so much, not a leaf more I'll touch. <laughs> Come home. Yes, I'm full. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> Come home then, said the youth, and took hold of her, the cord around her neck, cord round her neck, led her into the stable, and tied her up securely. Well, said the old tailor, has the goat had as much food as she ought? Oh, answered the son, she has eaten so much, not a leaf more she'll touch. But the father wished to satisfy himself and went down to the stable, stroked the dear old animal and asked, Goat, are you satisfied? The goat answered, I should read this in a goatee voice. Great. With what should I be satisfied? <laughs> Among the graves I leapt about and found no food, so went without. Ma, ma. Yo, that goat's throwing the, the, the kid under the bus. Yeah, indeed. I, sh I, I wish I'd come up with a goat voice earlier, but. Well, you're locked into that one now, so it's fine. <laughs> what do I hear, cried the tailor, and ran upstairs and said to the youth, Hello, you liar, you said the goat had had enough and have let her go hungry. And in his anger, he took the yard measure from the wall and drove him out with blows. Oh, no, I would give that goat monkey syphilis. <laughs> really, you would do that? As punishment. <laughs> I'm going to ignore all of the other implications of what I, I just let said. let that one go. <laughs> uh, next day, it was the turn of the... Of the... <laughs> you can edit that out if you wish. Next day, it was the turn of the second son, who looked out for a place in the fence of the garden, where nothing but good herbs grew, and the goat cleared them all off. At night, when he wanted to go home, he asked, Goat, are you satisfied? The goat answered, I have eaten so much, not a leaf more I'll touch. Ma, ma. Don't trust him. Come home then, said the youth, and led her home and tied her up in the stable. Well, said the old tailor, has the goat had as much food as she ought? Oh, said, answered the son, she has eaten so much, not a leaf more she'll touch. 
The tailor would not rely on this, but went down to the stable and said, Goat, have you had enough? The goat answered, With what should I be satisfied? Among the graves I leapt about and found no food, so went without. Ma! Ma! I see this goat's game. I don't understand this goat's game, (laughs) but I see this goat's game. It is reminiscent of a toddler playing his parents against itself. (laughs) The godless wretch, cried the tailor, to let such a good animal go hungry. And he ran up and drove the youth out of doors with the yard measure. Now came the turn of the third son, who wanted to do the thing well, and sought out some bushes with the finest leaves and let the goat devour them. In the evening, when he wanted to go home, he asked, Goat, have you had enough? The goat answered, I have eaten so much, not a leaf more I'll touch. Ma, ma. Come home then, said the youth and led her to the stable and tied her up. Well, said the old tailor, has the goat had a proper amount of food? She has eaten so much, not a leaf more she'll touch. The tailor did not trust that, but went down to ask, Goat, have you had enough? The wicked beast answered, With what should I be satisfied? Among the graves I leapt about and found no leaves, so went without. Ma, ma. Oh, the brood of liars, cried the tailor, each as wicked and forgetful of his duty as the other. Ye shall no longer make a fool of me. And quite beside himself with anger, he ran upstairs and belabored the poor young fellow so vigorously with the yard measure that he sprang out of the house. This goat is literally getting this dude to beat his children with a yardstick. And drive them out of the house. Yeah. He'd rather trust a talking goat than his own beloved children. This goat is going to be dinner. Yeah, I think so. The old tailor was now alone with this goat. And he deserves to be alone with this goat. Although I'm thinking if a goat is talking, like, I'm uh, I'm, going to stop trusting myself right there. (laughs) If I'm having regular conversations with my goat, I think I'm not going to trust the goat. I'm not going to trust my kids. I'm going to assume none of them exist. I'm going to go check myself in somewhere. There you go. I think that's a good plan. The old tailor was now alone with his goat. Next morning, he went down into the stable, caressed the goat and said, Come, my dear animal, I myself will take you to feed. He took her by the rope and conducted her to the green hedges and amongst milfoil and whatever else goats like to eat. There, you may once eat to your heart's content, he said to her and let her browse till evening. Then he asked the goat, Goat, are you satisfied? She replied, I have eaten so much, not a leaf more I'll touch. Ma, ma. I think this goat only has two things it can say. Yeah. And so it just alternates between the two. Well, I was saying it's basically a toddler. It's like Tristan has... She can say mama. Mama and And, uh (laughs) uh-oh. That's it. This is just goat for mama and uh uh-oh. There you go. When he was going away, he turned around again and said, Well, are you satisfied for once? But the goat did not behave better. But the goat did not behave better to him and cried, "With what should I be satisfied? Among the graves I leapt about and found no leaves, so went without." Ma, ma. And the tailor beat himself with a stick <laughs> and drove himself out. <laughs> and the goat lived happily ever after the end. 
When the tailor heard that, he was shocked and saw clearly that he had driven away his three sons without cause. Wait, you ungrateful creature, he cried. It is not enough to drive you forth. I will mark you so that you will no more dare to show yourself amongst honest tailors. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Scarlet letter. (laughs) There must be a lot of tailors in this community that own goats. In great haste, he ran upstairs, fetched his razor, lathered the goat's head, (laughs) shaved her as clean as the palm of his hand, and as the yard measure would have been too good for her, he, he brought the horsewhip and gave her such cuts with it that she ran away with mighty leaps. I wonder why Disney didn't adapt this one. <laughs> I don't know. Well, there's still time. <laughs> hey, Disney, if you're listening, and we know I know you can. are, um, I got a story for you. <laughs> Who do you think should play the goat? Uh, I'm going to say Dame Judy Dench. <laughs> I think it's about time she returned to Disney. I don't think she's been into Disney flicks since she was Mrs. Potts. I, like, yeah. Bold choice. Bold That's my, choice. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if, and she could bring sympathy and dignity to the role. Well, of course, we don't know how it ends yet. But Disney has never worried too much about that. Uh, Yeah, no. (laughs) When the tailor was thus left quite alone in his house, he fell into great grief and would gladly have had his sons back again. But no one knew whither they had gone. The eldest had apprenticed himself to a joiner and learned industriously and unweariedly. And when the time came for him to go on his travels... Joiner's travel? Hmm. Okay. He's a traveling joiner. He's a traveling joiner. You never know when you're going to have, there's going to be like a chair emergency. Yeah. Or or maybe he's the kind of joiner who just goes around and joins in on Joins active. in on other shit. <laughs> I'm an apprentice joiner. What does that mean? You see, you, you see that protest over there? I'm going to join. <laughs> what are we protesting? And when the time came for him to go on his travels, his master presented him with a little table which had no unusual appearance and was made of common wood. But it had one good property. If anyone put it down and said, little table, set thyself, the good little table was at once covered with a clean little cloth. And a plate was there, and a knife and a fork beside it, and dishes with boiled meats and roasted meats, and as many as there was room for, and a great glass of red wine shone, so it made the heart glad. That's a good trick. I want that table. The young journeyman thought, with this you you have enough for your whole life, and went joyously around the world and never troubled himself whether an inn was good or bad, or if anything was to be found in it or not. When it suited him, he did not enter an inn at all, but either in the plain, a wood, a meadow, or wherever he fancied, he took his little table off the back, set it down before him, and said, Little table, set thyself, and then Everything appeared that his heart desired. Best picnic ever. Yes. And we're getting back to the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, like, we, we've, we're dealing a lot with a goat. I mean, the goat was kind of an ass. Little table, set thyself, and then everything appeared that his heart desired. At length, he took it into his head to go back to his father, whose anger would be now appeased, and he, who would now willingly receive him with his wishing table. It came to pass that on his way home, he arrived one evening at an inn, which was filled with guests. They bade him welcome and invited him to sit and eat with them, for otherwise he would have difficulty in getting anything. No, answered the joiner, 
I will not take the few bites out of your mouths. Rather than that, you shall be my guests. They laughed and thought he was joking. He, however, placed his little wooden table in the middle of the room and said, Little table, set thyself. This is not going to end well for him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with things are going to turn bad. Yeah. I mean, it is a grim fairy tale. Yes. Pride goeth before the fall. He's become a little full of himself because of this magic table. Instantly, it was covered with food, so good that the host could never have procured it. And the smell of it arose pleasantly to the noses of the guests. Fall to, dear friends, said the joiner. And the guests, when they saw that he meant it, did not need to be asked twice, but drew near, pulled out their knives, and attacked it valiantly. Valiantly? They bravely attacked the food? I mean, I have definitely, in recent weeks, eaten enough at Del Taco that sometimes... Eating food is an act of bravery. (laughs) I I, I trust you. And what surprised them most was that when a dish became empty, a full one instantly took its place. The innkeeper stood in one corner and watched the doings. He did not know what to say, but thought, I could easily find a use for such a cook as that in my kitchen. The joiner and his comrades made merry until late into the night. At length they lay down to sleep, and the young apprentice also went to bed and set his magic table against the wall. The the host's thoughts... (laughs) There's a challenge for my lisp. I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I think it's funny, and this just made me think of it. In the Harry Potter series, while uh, J.K. Rowling was writing it, uh, Stephen Fry was reading the audiobooks. And in one of the early audiobooks, the sentence, Harry pocketed it, appeared. And it took him several takes to get that sentence. And it was so frustrating that he actually went to J.K. Rowling and and said, listen, can we change it to Harry put it in his pocket? Because I cannot say this sentence. And she was like, no, I'm, I'm sorry. It's like that's I wrote it that way for a reason. The sentence Harry pocketed it appeared in every book she wrote after that. (laughs) Yeah. She wasn't going to use it, but now that he brought it up, yes, yes, yes. The host's host's thoughts, however, let him have no rest. It occurred to him that there was a little old table in his lumber room, which looked just like the apprentices and he brought it out quite softly and exchanged it for the wishing table what a dick next morning the joiner paid for his bed took up his table never thinking that he had got a false one and went on his way won't dad be surprised (laughs) (laughs) at midday he reached his father who received him with great joy Well, my dear son, what have you learned? He said to him. Father, I have become a joiner. A good trade, replied the old man. But what have you brought back with you from your apprenticeship? Father, the best thing which I have brought back with me is this little table. The tailor examined it on all sides and said, You did not make a masterpiece. When you made that, it's a bad old table. But it is a table which furnishes itself, replied the son. When I put it down and tell it to set itself, the most beautiful dishes stand on it, and a wine also which gladdens the heart. Just invite all our relations and friends. They shall refresh and enjoy themselves for once, for the table will give them all they require. Oh, no. Now, I'm thinking if you came home telling me this and I invited all of our friends in relation. You'd probably test it first. Well, or I'd have a refrigerator full of stuff to bring out Mm -hmm. just in case. Well, no, I'm thinking if I came home with a little table and I said, look, 
it'll make a feast. Invite all of our friends and relations. You would have me committed. Or say, why don't we, why don't we have a little something first? And we'll talk over the menu. But hey, no. I got a goat who might have some things to say about that. I'm wondering if the goat comes back. When the company was assembled, he put his table in the middle of the room and said, Little table, set thyself. But the little table did not bestir itself and remained just as bare as any other table which did not understand language. Then the poor apprentice became aware that his table had been changed and was ashamed at having to stand there like a liar. The relations, however, mocked him and were forced to go home without having eaten or drunk. The father brought out his patches and began to tailor again, but the son went to a master in the craft. The second son had gone to a miller and had apprenticed himself to him. When his years were over, the master said, As you have conducted yourself well, I give you an ass of a a peculiar kind, which neither... I give you this ass. (laughs) It's a peculiar ass, for it neither draws a cart nor carries a sack. (laughs) What good is that ass? But it twerks. (laughs) There you go. To what use is it? To, to what use is he put then, asked the young apprentice. He lets gold drop from his mouth, answered the miller. If you set him on a cloth and say, brickle brit. Now, why is he giving away this ass that produces gold when you say brickle bit? I was having a similar thing with the table. Thing actually. with the table, yeah. I was also wondering where the goat came from. Maybe this little... I have a sneaking suspicion that the moral of this story is don't trust shit that's not supposed to talk. There you go. Yeah. It's actually... um, uh, In Muppet Christmas Carol, Mm -hmm. uh, when they go to um, uh, Fozziewig's Christmas party, um, uh, it's Gonzo and Rizzo doing sort of narration stuff, and the Swedish chef comes in and... He's singing, hurdy gurdy furder furder, and he pulls lids off two plates of food, and they go la 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 la, and Rizzo's like, "Mama always said, never eat singing food." <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that applies. Um, and if or, it doesn't, that's what it made me think of. Or, or food from a magic table, Bricklebrit. To his ass, and it rained gold pieces. <laughs> yes. Tomorrow I'm going to sit on a, what is it? A cloth? Yeah. A piece of, a blanket? What does it say? Yeah, tomorrow I'm going to sit on a cloth and say Brickle Brit to my ass. <laughs> I'm not going to watch. See if gold falls out. Pretty sure it's not going to. <laughs> Don't do that on the plane. Bring a towel with me in case there's a mess. You think TSA would carry me away for that? <laughs> it depends on whether or not you manage to uh, ring gold. If you say brickle, but Brit, the good animal will drop gold pieces for you. That is a fine thing, said the apprentice, and thanked the master and went out into the world. When he had need of gold, he had only to say brickle, Brit to his ass and it rained gold pieces and he had nothing to do but pick them off the ground. Wheresoever he went, the best of everything was good enough for him and the dearer the better for he had always a full purse. When he had looked around the world for some, he thought, you must seek out your father. If you go to him with the gold ass, he will forget his anger and receive you well. It came to pass that he reached the same public house in which his brother's table had been exchanged. He let his <laughs> ass by the bridle, and the host was about to take the animal from him and tie him up. But the young apprentice said, Don't trouble yourself. I will take my gray horse into the stable and tie him up myself, for I must know where he stands. Gray horse. He's gray horse. Ass. It's a donkey. Okay. 
the old gray mare. Um, this struck the hostess odd, and he thought that a man who was forced to look after his ass himself could not have much to spend. I mean... <laughs> do you look after your ass yourself? I do. I mean, nobody else is looking after it for me. Oh. And in fairness, I don't have much to spend. <laughs> this, this is true. But when the stranger put his hand in his pocket and brought out two gold pieces and said he was to provide something good for him, the host opened his eyes wide and ran out and sought out the best he could muster. Well, all he has to do is say to the table, set itself, and he'll have the feast. After dinner, the guest asked what he owed. The host did not see why he should not double the reckoning and said the apprentice must give him two more gold pieces. He felt in his pocket, but gold was just at an end. Wait an instant, sir host, he said. I will go and fetch some money. But he took the tablecloth with him. The host could not imagine what this could mean, and being curious, stole after him, and as the guest bolted the stable door, he peeped through the hole left by a knot in the wood. The stranger spread out the cloth under the animal. I wonder if he doesn't rain gold if there's no cloth. I mean, the guy did say, put a cloth under. Put the cloth under the animal and cried, He doesn't want to make a mess on the floor. Because it is kind of like he's pooping out gold. I think he's puking out gold. I think it said it comes out of his mouth. Okay. The ass's mouth. Not to be confused with the ass's ass. Not to be confused with the ass's ass. Or the mouth's ass. It's oral diarrhea. Thank you for clarifying. Sometimes the details escape the reader. (laughs) That's actually very true. I'm glad you're learning that. There are times when it's way easier to follow the story when you're listening than when you're reading. Because during that cold read, you're just going, "Uh, what do these words mean? I forget how English goes. Brickle Brit, and immediately the beast began to let gold pieces fall, so that it fairly rained down money on the ground. Hey, my word, said the host, ducats are quickly coined there. A purse like that is not amiss. The guest paid his score and went to bed, but in the night the host stole down into the stable led away the master of the mint and tied up another ass in its place. Early next morning, the apprentice went away with the ass and thought that he had his gold ass. If someone replaced my ass with another ass, I would know the difference. Even if your ass was a gray horse, I think you would notice. Yeah, probably. At midday, he reached his father, who rejoiced to see him again, and gladly took him in. What have you made of yourself, my son? asked the old man. A miller, dear father, he answered. What have you brought back from your travels? Nothing else but an ass. There are asses enough here, said the father. I would rather have a good goat. Yes, replied the son, but it is no common ass, but a gold ass. When I say, Bricklebrit, the good beast opens its mouth and drops a whole sheet full of gold pieces. Just summon all our relations hither, and I will make them rich folk. Why? Rich folk. Why? 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 I th- I'm thinking why the, the, why the summon all your relations and, and why would they show up after the last time right well and why is dad gonna like huh? oh wait no because dad learned to trust his sons from the goat oh. so he's doing what the sons say because he feels guilty now it's gonna bite him in the ass ha <laughs> <laughs> And then he's going to think that his sons have been lying to him, so he's going to go get the goat back. Just summon all our relations hither, and I will make them rich folk. That suits me well, said the tailor, for then I shall have no need to torment myself any longer with the needle. And he ran out and called the relations together. As soon as they were assembled, the miller bade them make way, spread out his cloth, and brought the ass into the room. Now watch, he said, and cried, Bricklebrit. 
but no gold pieces fell, and it was clear that the animal knew nothing of the art. For every ass does not attain such perfection. <laughs> ah, we're all just searching for that perfect ass. <laughs> then the poor miller pulled a long face, saw that he was betrayed, and begged pardon of the relatives, who went home as far as poor as they had come. There was no help for it. The old man had to betake him to his needle once more, and the youth hired himself to a miller. Been going all this time without doing any miller. It's about time he did some work. Yeah. The third brother had apprenticed himself to a turner, and as that is skilled labor, he was the longest in learning. His brothers, however, told him in a letter how badly things had gone with them and how the innkeeper had cheated them of their beautiful wishing gifts on the last evening before they reached home. When the turner had served his time, he had to set out on his travels as he had conducted himself so well. His master presented him with a sack and said, There is a cudgel in it. I can put on the sack, said he. And it may be of good service to me, but why should the cudgel be in it? It only makes it heavy. I will tell you why, replied the master. If anyone has done anything to injure you, do but say, cudgel out of the sack. And the cudgel will leap forth among the people and play such a dance on their backs that they will not be able to stir or move for a week and it will not leave off until you say cudgel into the sack the apprentice thanked him put the sack on his back and when they and when anyone came near him and wished to attack him he said cudgel out of the sack and instantly the cudgel sprang out and dusted the coat or jacket of one after the other on their backs and never stopped until it had stripped it off them. And it was done so quickly that before anyone was aware, it was already his own turn. Wait a second. So is he going to be like, call the family here. We can beat the crap out of them. <laughs> <laughs> They've been making fun of my brothers and my dad. And, the, and get the goat, too. <laughs> Bring the goat while you're at it. In the evening, the young turner... And the ass in the table. Like, we're just going to... In the evening, the young turner reached the inn where his brothers had been cheated. He laid his sack on the table before him and began to talk of all the wonderful things which he had seen in the world. Yes, he said. People may easily find a little table which will cover itself... A gold ass and things of that kind, extremely good things, which I by no means despise. But these are nothing in comparison with the treasure which I have won for myself and am carrying about with me in my sack there. The innkeeper pricked his ears. What in the world can that be, thought he. The sack must be filled with nothing but jewels. I ought to get them cheap, too, for all good things go in threes. So do bad things. When it was time for sleep, the guest stretched himself on. The bench... Oh, no. When it was time for sleep, the guest stretched himself on the bench... Weird page break. ...and laid his sack beneath him for a pillow. When the inn Wow, big sack. Sorry. When, when the innkeeper thought his guest was lying in a sound sleep, he went to him and pushed and pulled quite gently and carefully at the sack to see if he could possibly draw it away and lay another in its place. Nope, doesn't work like that. The Do turner... Doesn't matter, doesn't matter how gentle you are. Dude's gonna wake up. Yeah. I promise. The turner had, however, been waiting for this a long time and now just... As the innkeeper was about to give a hearty tug, he cried, Cudgel, out of the sack! Instantly, the little cudgel came forth and fell on the innkeeper and gave him a sound thrashing. The host cried for Mercer. Mercer. Or Mercy. The Might have cried for Mercer, too. Uh, could be his dad's name or something. Or his daughter. Son. It's an ER. The host cried for Mercy. His goat. <laughs> But the louder he cried, so much more 
heavily the cudgel beat time on his back until at length he fell to the ground exhausted. Then the turner said, if you do not give back the little table that sets itself and the gold ass, the dance shall begin afresh. Oh no, cried the host quite humbly. I will gladly bring out everything, only make the accursed kobold creep back into the sack. Then the apprentice, then said the apprentice, I will let mercy take the place of justice, but beware of getting into mischief again. So he cried, cudgel into the sack and let him have rest. All right, I've changed my mind. It's sounding like the moral of this story is going to be violence does solve some things. <laughs> I don't know. This is a longer story than I thought. <laughs> There's time for all kinds of twists. Next morning, the turner went home to his father with the wishing table and the gold ass. The tailor rejoiced when he saw him once more and asked him likewise what he had learned in a foreign parts. In foreign parts. Your father, he said, I've become a turner. A skilled trade, said the father. What have you brought back with you from your travels? A precious thing, dear father, replied the son. A cudgel in the sack. What? cried the father. A cudgel? That's worth your trouble indeed. From every tree you can cut one yourself. But not like this one, dear in father. In fact, go cut your own switch. Dear father, if I say cudgel out of the sack, the cudgel springs out and leads anyone who means ill by me a weary dance and never stops until he lies on the ground and prays for fair weather. Look, you with this cudgel have I got back the wishing table and the gold ass, which the thievish innkeeper took away from my brothers. Now let them both be sent for and invite all our kinsmen. I will give them to eat and drink and will fill their pockets with gold into the bargain. The old tailor would not quite believe it, but nevertheless got the relatives together. Then the turner spread a cloth in the room and led the gold ass and said to his brother, Now, dear brother, speak to him. The miller said, Bricklebrit! And instantly the gold pieces fell down on the cloth like a thunder shower, and the ass did not stop until every one of them had so much that he could carry no more. I can see in your face that you also would have liked to be there. <laughs> oh, as an aside. Then oh. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can see in your faces, dear listeners, that you also would have liked to be there. Then the turner brought the little table and said, Now, dear brother, speak to it. And scarcely had the carpenter said, Little table, set thyself. Then it was spread and covered with the most exquisite dishes. Then such a meal took place as the good tailor had never known in his house. The whole party of kinsmen stayed together till far in the night and were all merry and glad. The tailor locked away needle and thread, yard measure and goose in a press and lived with his three sons in joy and splendor. What, however, has become of the goat? Who was to blame for the tailor driving out his three sons? That I will tell you. She was ashamed that she had a bald head and ran to a fox's hole and crept into it. When the fox came home, he was met by two great eyes shining out of the darkness and was terrified and ran away. A bear met him and as the fox looked quite disturbed, he, he said, Oh, what is the matter with you, Brother Fox? Why do you look like that? Oh, said Redskin, a fierce beast is in my cave and stared at me with his fiery eyes. We will soon drive him out, said the bear, and went with him to the cave and looked in. But when he saw the fiery eyes, fear seized him likewise. He would have nothing to do with the furious beast and took to his heels. The bee met him, and as she saw he was ill at ease, she said, Bear, you are really pulling a very pitiful face. What has become of all your jollity? <laughs> 
It is all very well for you to talk, replied the bear. A furious beast with staring eyes is in Redskin's house, and we can't drive him out. The beast said, Bear, I pity you. I am a poor creature whom you, could n you would not turn aside to look at. Yet I believe I can help you. She flew into Fox's cave, lighted on the goat's clean-shaved head, and stung her so hard that she sprang up crying. Ma! Ma! And ran forth into the world like mad, and to this hour, no one knows where she has gone. Ma! <laughs> the end. <laughs> All right. All right, so after one more turn, I think the moral of the story is, don't be a dick. Well, the father and his three sons, against all odds, lived happily ever after, as did all of their family and relations. Yeah. The goat got stung in the head. The bee probably died, because that's what happens when bees sting things. Yeah. She sacrificed her <laughs> she life. She sacrificed herself. And I'm sure that innkeeper had a lengthy hospital stay. Yeah. I'm still very confused <laughs> as to why the carpenter and the miller gave up these magical things. And the turner, for that matter. And the turner, for that matter. That's a pretty cool stick. Unless they were able to reproduce these items every time they had an apprentice. Oh, did they get apprentice to like a magic miller? Could be. A magic turner? A magic, what was the other one? Miller, turner, joiner? Joiner, yeah. <laughs> oh, we can't forget the joiner. Magic joiner? I want to be a joiner. That's my next career. I'll just be a joiner. I'll go join things. Go, go join other people on their adventures? Yeah. I'll join a book club and I'll join a hiking club. and. Yeah, I like that. You think there's a lot of money in being a joiner? I think joining is its own reward. <laughs> I think I am going to become a goat herd. I'm In which country? Iceland. I, I don't think Iceland is known for its goat herds. Switzerland. Better choice. They got goats there. Oh, but they have goats in Iceland. Perhaps. Goats live everywhere. I'm just going to keep my eyes peeled for talking goats. Yeah. Get a female goat. So you can milk her and oh, make no, cheese. This one was a female goat. <laughs> she was kind of untrustworthy. Just make sure she doesn't have a shaved head and a giant lump where a bee stung her. So what do you think, listeners? Has a goat ever talked to you? If it did, would you trust it? That's a good question. If something that's not supposed to talk started talking to you, what would your response be? Well, for one thing, I'd stop drinking. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't admit it to my adult children. <laughs> for fear they would put me into the home. To your adult children who already have letters that we have expressly been told to give to you when it's time for you to stop driving. <laughs> and give up my home. It's time for you to home. stop living on your own. <laughs> yeah, I won't be telling you about my imaginary friends anytime soon. So the rose bush and I were having a conversation the other day, Mom. <laughs> I do go into the forest and talk to the fungi, but <laughs> it's only polite to ask their permission before you photograph them, you know. So long as they're not talking back, that is just fine. So, dear Kenneth. Yeah. What is this week's secret passcode? A fabulous question. So, dear listener, um, we would love it if you would write in, uh, shoot us an email at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or at any of our social media. Just look for Campfire Classics or Campfire Classics Podcast. We're pretty easy to find. Shoot us a message. Tell us what you thought of this particular episode. Let me know. Let us know what you would do if a rose bush or a table or a goat started talking to you because I'm just curious what your response would be. Uh, and send us the secret passcode. And this week's secret passcode is monkey syphilis. Monkey syphilis. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> They're mostly not great. So. It was either that or meth pox. 
Somehow that's less sad. <laughs> I don't know why. It's because you're not thinking of a monkey who has gotten syphilis. So, this has been. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't have anything else to say. You're clearly ready to wrap up. So, uh, thank you for listening. And until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Ta-ta.